Welcome to the Conscious Clinician Podcast. We have honest conversations about the triumphs and challenges of pelvic health physical therapy. Each week, we bring you inspiration and practical tips to thrive in your work. And now, here's your hosts, Dr. Monica Stefanovich and Dr. Sammy Steele. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have on our special guest, Katherine O'Brien. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and the founder of happywithbaby.com. She created Happy With Baby in order for new parents to discover the advice she wishes she had as a parent. Catherine lives in Sacramento, California, where she enjoys paddleboarding and rowing with her husband and two kids. Welcome on, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here with both of you today. Welcome on. We're so happy you're here. Catherine, we wanted to start off with hearing what your story is. I feel like behind any one of these organizations where you're trying to share wisdom and advice with people, there's a story behind how you got to this place and what advice that you hoped you had had. So I'd love to hear what the background is behind happywithbaby.com. Yes, I've been a licensed marriage and family therapist for almost 20 years now, which seems like a long time. (laughs) And my specialty has been working in maternal mental health and new parents now for almost 12 years. And it was after the birth of our oldest that really opened my eyes about how difficult it was to add a baby to the family. And honestly, I joke about this a lot, but I feel so naive that I didn't realize how difficult it would be to add a baby to our family. Like my husband and I had a a good relationship and we had been together for over five years and were newly married and we got pregnant much faster than I had anticipated for us to. And so we celebrated our first anniversary with a three week old. And I look at the pictures. We have pictures from that day. I'm like, oh my gosh, I look so tired because I was exhausted. And we had dinner. We went and had dinner. Both our moms were in town and we were literally gone for like 45 minutes before we came back. And yeah, but it it was a couple months in and just how difficult at the time we were having and felt disconnected from my husband. And we would have these little fights or disagreements and I didn't feel supported by him. And I'm pretty much say he did not feel supported by me. And it was hard. And I was like, why did I not know this would be so hard? Because I thought we had this great relationship. And I was going to different moms groups and hearing other moms talk and hearing their challenges and struggles and seeing I was clearly not alone in this. And so I just started putting this list together in my head of all the things I wish I would have known. I wish I would have been better prepared for and was given an opportunity to teach a workshop. And I knew when it was presented to me, I knew immediately what I wanted it to be about. I'm like, yes, I have this list of things I wish I would have known. And it just kind of grew from there and became my specialty. And the workshop was based around topics of how to keep your relationship strong after baby. And that blossomed into seeing more parents that were struggling with maternal mental health issues, postpartum depression and anxiety and PTSD. And then that just grew from there. And yeah, it all started with our new baby. And he just turned 12, which is crazy. And he keeps telling me like, I'm going to be 13 next year. And I'm like, will you stop telling me that? (laughs) (laughs) I like can barely get over that you're 12. Do not rush (laughs) that you're going to be 13 next year. (laughs) So yeah. 
Awesome. I think that's such a classic story for most people that get into the field they're really passionate about. They're filling a need for themselves and for the the community that they're a part of. So I'm thrilled to hear that you've gotten into this specialty because it's so needed. I know Monica can attest to this too. We see a lot of new moms in pelvic floor PT, sometimes very soon after delivery and It's funny because a lot of times we're really addressing the physical side of things. So they're coming in with a physical postpartum complaint, such as pain with sex, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really useful to hear about the psychosocial side of things when it comes to postpartum pain with sex because there also mm-hmm. is this entire relationship dynamic that's affected right. and their life roles are changing. They're, they basically had a bomb thrown into their life. Everything's yeah. different from what they knew before. And so we're trying to work with this person to address their physical complaint and giving them all of this advice on exercise and how to improve yeah. their function and neglecting that they may not have the time or the headspace to engage in that therapy until they're feeling better from a mental perspective. So I I think it's great to be here talking to you about this. My experience is like everything's changed, right? Like our bodies have shifted and nothing's where it used to be and everything's, you know, out of whack and our relationship with our partner is different and we have this new baby that's dependent on us and everything's different. And I think I often hear looking for to fix it, right? Women wanting to lose weight right away and get things back to normal and I think oftentimes we forget how long that takes to get back to, and nothing will ever be the same. And and not because it's not going to be good, but it's not ever going to go back to what it was necessarily. And I think in a lot of ways that we can reframe and be like, it could be better. It, it could be better, but we just have to give it time to let it shift and sink in and go through the transitions and let the PT work and all those things too. And what are you usually working on with couples during this early part that would affect them sexually because trying into that pelvic floor piece? Well, usually when couples come to see me, it's communication. And so they're coming in because either they're not communicating or they're not feeling like the other person's hearing what they're saying. They're feeling that disconnect. So of course they're not wanting to have sex. Like they're frustrated with their partner because they're not helping out the way they want to help out. And they're feeling like there's more pressure on them. They have more on their plates. So the last thing they want to do is have sex at the end of the day. Or if they're breastfeeding, they're feeling like all touched out. Even if they're not breastfeeding, they're holding the baby all day, all that stuff. So the last thing they want to do is be intimate with their partner. And it's hard. And then the partner might feel rejected. Like they don't want the baby's getting all this attention. I've been forgotten. I miss my partner, whatever. So a lot of that plays in, but usually they call me and say it's communication. Rarely do they call in and say it's sex, <laughs> but it does lead to ultimately that's a big piece of it or can be a big piece of it too. Usually there's all these other things that go into wanting them to be intimate with their partner. It's a symptom, not the root of the problem. It sounds like. Usually. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. But it can be because there are women and I've had women that are having sex is painful or they're fearful after having a baby to have sex. And so they avoid it and don't want to be touched because they don't want to give the wrong idea to their partner. And so they're just avoiding it instead of figuring out how things are different and moving in that direction and taking things slow and, and getting support if needed, if things aren't right. But for some, there's even that fear around being intimate with their partner after baby. 
Definitely. And I mean, fear, catastrophizing that you just spoke Mm -hmm. to, and then, of course, not wanting to engage in sex for different reasons. I think Mm -hmm. those all amplify the experience of pain Mm -hmm. with sex. Right. Especially not being connected to your partner. I think of how that might translate to lack of foreplay or not really being in the mood or kind of feeling like I just got to do this for them. And then the female body is not receptive to what's happening. And of course, our processes, our physiological processes aren't supportive of sex. And so Mm -hmm. now there's more discomfort. And then that can even breed more fear and avoidance, like you mentioned. It's so much more complicated than just stretching a vagina, isn't it? Right. I mean, I wish it was that easy for some, right? Like, it's never that easy. Even if you're struggling with depression and anxiety, and it's okay, I'm going to go on medication, that doesn't automatically make it better either. There's usually more work we have to do around it to get the support and help to make it what we want it to be. I feel like it's never a quick fix, which is hard (laughs) when you're tired and overwhelmed by everything. You're like, I just want this to be better. If this could just be better, other things could start falling into place. But I think oftentimes it does take work and effort and making the changes and dealing with some of the harder feelings around it. I I would love to pick your brain today also on postpartum depression. I think that was one of the things that I was so excited to talk to you about because I think in the medical realm, doctors, PTs, Mm -hmm. nurses, whatever, we're often looking at these physical complaints and maybe screening for postpartum depression, Mm -hmm. but sometimes people may manifest those symptoms differently. And I'm curious, first of all, to ask, what are some of the common presentations of postpartum depression that you see? And how might that show up in a medical appointment? And how can we serve patients better by asking them about these things? Yeah. And I I think for one, and this is where I'll have new parents get frustrated too, because they're like, I don't have depression. You know, I don't have postpartum depression because it might be anxiety, it might be PTSD, maybe they had a traumatic birth or perceived traumatic birth. So there's a range of different postpartum mood or anxiety disorders. If it's anxiety, it's that constant worry, feeling something bad is going to happen to you or maybe the baby, racing thoughts. Sometimes there's even experiencing disturbance in your sleep or appetite. And they're like, are you kidding me? I have a new baby. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how is this different? I'm not getting any sleep anyways. But maybe there's also physical symptoms. Maybe if they have the anxiety, maybe they also have postpartum depression at at the same time. Sometimes you can be experiencing both. They say to me, but how is this different than just being a new mom? And I think sometimes something's not right. It doesn't feel right. And you're, maybe you tell your doctor and your doctor's like, oh yeah, this is what other people experience. And I'm saying that because I've had women that tell me, yeah, I told my doctor and they say, oh, it's normal. This is what new moms experience. But they're like, something just doesn't feel right. And that's usually when I get the call because they're like, I feel something doesn't feel like I think it's supposed to be. If there's depression, the mood changes, irritability, restlessness, fatigue, even if you can sleep, there's still that fatigue. Or maybe you can't sleep, there's insomnia. And sometimes they'll be rage. They're like, oh, I'm just so angry at my partner, just really rageful at them. But they're like, not upset with the baby, because usually they're 
doing like everything for the baby, but their partner, they're just so angry and like, everything they do, nothing is right. Even when they're trying to help out, there's a range of emotions. And I think it can be difficult. And I think maybe this is one of the reasons that it goes undiagnosed is because people just put it into, oh, that's what all new parents, all new parents have. It's difficult. It's, it's challenging, but no, this is to an extreme and it's impacting your overall well-being. You're not able to enjoy situations. Maybe you don't want to go out. Maybe you don't want to do different things. You're avoiding situations and overall you're not happy. Whereas if you're not experiencing, it's like, no, oh yeah, we met with friends and this was a good time and this and that. But if you're really struggling, it's hard to really enjoy. It's even hard to put yourself out there and you avoid situations because of that. So how would we best support a patient there? I have some ideas, but I'm curious, maybe not necessarily for whether we refer or whatnot. I think we're familiar with that. But like, how do we initiate that conversation to let them know this isn't really normal or it's okay to get help? I think so often is this validating. One in five women will experience a mood or anxiety disorder. That's a lot. Right. If you're seeing, I don't know how many clients you see a day or new parents, but that's a lot of women. And so I think it's like just validating that it is common and that they're not alone in it. And with support, it is treatable. That's the thing about it. It is highly treatable and women will get better. Moms will get better. And dads can also experience it too. Up to 10% of dads can experience or the partners can experience a mood or anxiety disorder too. And their rate goes up to 50% if mom is already experiencing it. So that's Mm. significant and a good reason to like, okay, let's get help. It's going to help you, but it's going to help the family as well. I think as new parents too, we're so good at wanting to do everything. We do everything for our new baby. You taking care of yourself is taking care of your baby, of your child. But I think just that validation, you're not alone and you've seen this before. And if you can get the help and support, and it doesn't always have to be, medication either. It could be having good community support. And I think that's been the hard part over this last year and more is that there hasn't been enough support being able to build those relationships, especially if you're a new mom and you don't have friends that have kids. And that was a lifesaver for me was going to these moms groups and going to these mom exercise classes and just meeting other people and being able to get out during the day was huge for my mental health. I knew I needed to do stuff like that. And I think that's been a huge challenge over this last year is that new parents haven't been able to go out and start building the community in the way that they used to in the past or be able to see family and get the extra support coming into the house and and different avenues like that. So that's a huge piece of it is helping them build their support systems, especially if they don't have it. I think it's letting them know therapy is effective. I think being able to move and finding a way to get rest, that's such a huge piece of it. So often my moms are really struggling and they're not getting enough rest. So I always talk to them too about how can you and your partner both get adequate sleep? And I think it can be more challenging if they're breastfeeding because the other partner is not able to necessarily give a bottle during that time. If there's a way to get that extra rest in there, because it's so key for mental health is when we're waking up every two to three hours, weeks, months on end, that's not good for anybody. It definitely doesn't do wonders for my my mental health. (laughs) I'll never forget the first time I got got five hours of of sleep at once and I woke up and I felt so wonderful to get those five (laughs) hours. Like it was like life-changing. And then 
But then that's not sustainable either. Let's be honest. If I could get 12 hours of sleep a night, I would be so happy. <laughs> I'm like a little baby. I would love 12 hours of sleep, but that's just not realistic. We need at least eight to 10 hours. But if there's a way that you and your partner can do a shift or you go to bed a little bit earlier, a couple more hours of extra rest in there is so important because that, that affects our moods too. And our physical health, right? I think sleep is just so key for mental health, physical health, and just general well-being in the world. That's yeah. what a perfect storm. If both parents aren't sleeping, they're not yeah. communicating well, then you have physical problems on top of it and you have a total shift in life routine. It's just a perfect yeah. storm, I think, for having some of those mood and anxiety disorders come up. Right, right. And yeah, you speak to physical health. I've worked with people and they're like, were convinced that they had some sort of MS or some sort of diagnosis because mm -hmm. their body just hurt so bad. Mm -hmm. And it was like, finally, the doctors had run tests and nothing's showing up, which is frustrating. And then finally, they started getting more deep and they're like, oh, the pain is gone. The pain has disappeared. And it's like, yes, hmm. you were so... <laughs> Funny exactly. how that works. <laughs> yeah. And it, it is true. If we don't get enough rest, it affects everything. And I tell people, it's like, I feel like your filter disappears or your filter gets dirty when you're not getting enough rest and you're tired and exhausted and you've got anxiety or depression, the filter's dirty. And so things that normally would just go through and maybe we'd think a thought, but it would just go right out. They get stuck in our head and then everything's in there and it's hard to process information. It's hard to make decisions. Things we see our partner do does not look the same way as it does when our filter is clean. And so we get irritated <laughs> more quickly. I love that metaphor. That's great. Just not even for postpartum, but in general to right. think of it that way. Yeah. 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 We got to clean our filter. And I'm like, usually the first step is, okay, how do we get rest? How do we get you more support? And sometimes those things can be enough. Sometimes they're not. Do you need therapy? Some people need medication and it can be helpful. And it's not always a long-term thing. But I've had people say, oh my gosh, it made a huge difference why they're going through this really challenging time. And it is challenging. And the rates are so much higher right now, just in general for depression and anxiety that people are experiencing. So I think it's so important that we are looking at and taking care of our emotional health and physical health, because I think they definitely go hand in hand. Absolutely. It sounds like you're advocating for greater awareness, first mm -hmm. of all, of the prevalence of it. It sounds like it's so incredibly common. What can healthcare providers do or what do you wish more healthcare providers did to either screen or treat for depression? Providers who are not mental health specialists, but mm -hmm. just even like an OBGYN or a pelvic health PT, what do you recommend people do to support new parents better? Yeah, that's always a challenge because I've talked to many providers in the past and part of the challenge is always there's not enough services. Where do I refer them? So sometimes it's I know I know when a mom is experiencing this, but it's always been, what do I do? Where do I send her? So I think it's a lot about us collaborating and working together and making sure there's enough support and services for new parents out there that mm. we're not just leaving them like, oh, you take home a baby and you're on your own. It's That's not enough. I talk all the time to couples about what's your postpartum plan? Because there's a lot of birth plans. Like we do a lot. There's usually <laughs> a lot of prep for a birth plan because let's be honest, they're going to the doctors and Usually when you're going to the doctors, it's like, okay, what's your plan? What are you going to do? But nobody's like, well, then what happens after you bring the baby home? Um, totally. That's such a great point. Like, oh what, my gosh. What are you going to do that. now? <laughs> you know, and I'm yeah. like, I, was, yeah. I, was, I did not have a postpartum plan. 
And so I tell couples, your partner's not your plan. They're in this with you. What is your plan together? Because you can't depend just on each other. That's not enough. Maybe Mm, for a little bit, but it's more support like ongoing because you're both going to be tired. You both need support. This is life-changing for them as well. It doesn't matter who's having the baby. It's like, it's going to be life-changing for both of you. And you're both going to need support, not in the same ways, in some same ways, but in different ways. And so where's that? extra cushion that do you have family that's coming in to help you you know and if you don't have family do you have friends and if you don't have that can you hire a postpartum doula or somebody to help you figure some of these things out because there's so many questions and there's so much newness to it and even if you have experience because I've had clients that have were they're like oh well I was like well great for like changing (laughs) diapers and stuff but it's totally different when you don't get to send the baby home at the end of the day you're with them all the time It, it takes a toll on you in so many different ways and that this is your baby is so different than you're just nannying for someone. It's hard and it's exhausting and we need support to normalize how much it is. And especially if we're tired and overwhelmed, it feels like we're the only ones feeling like this. Or why is this only hard for me? Because I see people on Instagram and they look like they're having a wonderful time. Look at their perfect pictures and all sorts of different things. I think more people are talking about Oh, it's the challenges, which I love to see. And maybe I just see it because of my what I do. But I feel like more and more people are, are normalizing how difficult it is to be a new parent, a, a parent in general. And there is more support out there. So I think it's finding that and building your resources around where are the support groups? Who are the therapists that specialize in maternal mental health and putting a list together to create that? Or where are the where are the mom exercise classes? And finding stuff for dads is really challenging, which is frustrating. But I tell people this all the time. They're like, oh, like these music classes or whatever. And they're like, I need to get my kid in that. I'm like, do you need to get your three-month-old into a music class? Probably not. But if you want to go meet new moms or new parents, go for it. You're doing it for you, not necessarily for your baby at that age. Because I think those classes are great, but they're not a necessity to your child's well-being, but I think they can be a necessity to our well-being as new mm-hmm. parents. Totally. I had this image as you were talking about the yeah. parents can't support each other of two people in quicksand, yeah. and they're both like <laughs> trying to pull the other one out. And yeah. The more you move, the more you sink. Not to say that having a baby is like sinking, but it just seems like if you're both struggling, who's really going to pull the other one out, right? So my husband has been teaching this workshop with me. We've been teaching it for over 11 years now. And we always give this scenario. What are you going to do? It's two o'clock in the morning and you hear the baby crying and you woke up with the baby the last time. What are you going to do? Who's going to get up? I think that came to the head that we needed to do something different is it was the middle of the night. I was tired. He was tired. We both got up with the baby the last time. Probably not. It both felt like we were doing more work than the other person. Mm. And we're the one that was doing all the hard work at night when we're both so tired. I was staying home, but I was exhausted and he was going to work, but he was exhausted. And who's going to get the baby? Oh, the worst question for me always was, do you want me to get the baby? Yes, I do. (laughs) But like, you're the selfish point of view. Say yes to that. Do you want me to get the baby? Yes, I do want you to get the baby. But I, I feel like you're trying to tell me I can't do it. I need you to do it. So if I say mm, yes, it's like a loaded question. Totally <laughs> yeah. Loaded. Oh my gosh. That's funny. And so that felt like quicksand. I would say that 
for sure. Monica. In the middle, like, where's okay, neither one of us are able to pull each other out. We're both like sinking in this, and we're because we're so tired, and he's up yeah. again. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this concept you have of a postpartum plan. I've never, I, I know it probably sounds so stupid, but I've never heard of anyone walking a client through that. You're so right in that we plan for birth so much. And what a short time frame that is in the grand scheme of things, whereas mm-hmm. postpartum is forever. Right, but it's also right. in that early postpartum phase is so much longer than birth will be. Right, And I feel like so many people just go in blind into that. And I, I'm really curious to pick your brain on some of the specifics that you might plan for with a client. What, where's the nitty gritty stuff that you get into? Like, how do you plan for support? What sorts of things do people not consider? What kind of questions are you asking to coach them through that planning process? So there's a lot of things I consider. Yeah. So like our workshop is basically based on developing a postpartum plan. And we've always started off talking about what are your top concerns, right? For each of you. And oftentimes they're different, but in some ways they're the same. And my thing is always, let's get you the support best around what your biggest concerns are. And then we go into coming up with lists of people that can support you. Who are the people you're going to call? Have a, a, a list of things like who are the people you're going to call? If you're crying in the middle of the night and not that you'll call them, but it's the start thinking about, oh, I do have these support people. Cause sometimes we go and we're like, I don't know. Or I'll start talking to people about who's telling you they want to help you write those names down because usually these people are saying, oh yeah, I would totally watch your baby. Oh, I'd love to come over and do this. And instead of being like, oh, okay. You know, and we kind of blow people off is to start taking in the help that is being offered to you. Because I think that's Mm. a big piece of it is we think we should be able to do it or we think other people do it. People have been having babies forever. So it can't be that hard. How hard could this be? But we also used to have a lot better support systems in place than we do now. And we don't have that as well anymore. So we have to build that for ourselves. And yeah, so we look at that. We run through ideas of what do you do in the middle of the night (laughs) when you're both tired and you both feel like you're not getting enough sleep? And how do you have these conversations? And we turned our workshop into a book that we recently published in December of 2020. And we go through a lot in there. But I have three questions. And the book is broken into three parts. And the first question is, what are you going to do to make sure that you're taking care of yourself? And that's my first question, because that's usually the one that we're not doing and that are not as easily because we're so worried about doing everything for the baby. We're maybe we're giving some time to our partner, maybe not. But what do you need for yourself? And on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, how do you make sure you're getting support for yourself? And this is for you and your partner to be answering. And then the second question is, what are you doing to make sure you're connecting with your partner? And that is connecting on a daily basis, just even check-ins to make sure you're both feeling supported. What are you doing for dates? And I go through with ideas on how to do dates at home, even if you can't get childcare. I'm all about being able to go out on a date and have somebody else watch the baby. But I know that can be hard in the beginning. It's been hard this last year to do that. But how do you find time for each other where you're intentional with each other? And then the third question is, what are you doing to bond and connect with your baby? And that's my last question, because that one, usually most of them are doing that pretty well. But sometimes maybe one partner's doing more than the other and the other partner's not feeling as involved because maybe one partner is being more micromanaging or critiquing the other one. So that you each have your thing that you do and the time that you spend one-on-one with the baby and that you're both building that relationship so that you're both connecting. So you're both bonding with the baby. 
And then I tell people, it's like, these three questions, these are good from now until, I think, till they move out, but maybe even after they move out. I don't know. My kids still love it. But but I think it's like, we have to constantly be asking ourselves these. My kids are eight and 12 now, but I still got to take care of myself. I still got to be connecting with my partner. And in some ways it's easier, but in other ways, if we're not intentional and make it happen, it's easy for it not to happen because our kids have activities. They've just started playing sports and stuff again. And I had to go buy a new calendar because for like a year we weren't doing much. And I'm like, I got lazy on what do we have going on? And I'm like, oh, I've got to put these things on the calendar. And I'm taking my kids to sports and I'm helping them with homework or doing this and that. But am I spending quality time? Do I know who they are? Do I know what what makes them happy? What doesn't make them happy? How, do, how to support them? I'm making sure that I'm connecting and bonding with them. And not just being a shuttle taking them places or someone there telling them to get their homework done or clean their room or whatever. That's not the relationship I want to have with them. So making sure that I continue to connect with them. So those three questions are the basis for it. And then we go into how do you make these things happen? Because it is hard to spend quality time with your partner, especially if you have a new baby. And like we talked earlier, if you're not feeling intimate because we're all touched out, like, oh, that's really going to be hard. But how do we do these other things? And even if we're not being intimate yet to make sure that we're not losing sight of who we are in this relationship. Those are awesome questions. And thank you so much for sharing your information about postpartum relationships and how those change. I think at this point, we're going to segue into our lightning round. So we have a few questions for you. The first is, what is your favorite drink at the moment? Oh, gosh. What is my favorite drink? I just love bubbly water like all the time. I don't know why. It's just so refreshing. It's oftentimes plain, but especially because it's been hot, like just bubbly, sparkly water, sometimes with flavor, sometimes not. But I feel like it goes with everything. Nice. What is the best book you've read lately? Oh, gosh. I I wish I could say I've read something really fun, but I'm always reading work type books. But my favorite book that I've been sharing with clients is called The Power of Showing Up by Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. And it just, it talks about the four S's for creating a secure attachment with your children. And it's about having them feel safe, soothed, seen, and secure. And I feel like this is simplifies things a lot for parents. It's readable and understandable. They have a lot of wonderful books that they've written together. And I feel like it takes in some of the other stuff that they've written. And I've been telling parents about it a lot. Awesome. What is the first thing you do in a challenging situation? I pause. (laughs) I take a deep breath and pause. And then I think, okay, what am I going to do? Or what do I need to do? And how do I act? I usually, I used, yeah, I used to just react and I've learned how to pause and take a deep breath and look at the full picture to see what's happening. If you weren't a therapist, what would you do for work? (laughs) If I wasn't a therapist, oh gosh, I know. I think about this sometimes too, a lot. Actually, this last year has been hard because there's been such an increase in demand for therapists and it's been a lot and I, I struggle to come up with anything, but I do say, okay, this is what I would do. <laughs> this is my fantasy. If I wasn't, if I didn't have the life I have, I would want to work in a little bookstore that's near the beach. That somehow I would live in a little cottage and I'd walk down to the little bookstore and just work there and go stop at the beach on the way home and go home. 
Love it. That I feel like that's like awesome. escapism for clinicians. You're like, just something simple. I could sit at a desk and just read books. Like, <laughs> I just be shelving books. I don't, I, I yeah. know, I'm sure it's not that easy. I'm like, oh, but this would be simple. I don't know that people in my vision, there's no one coming into the book store. I don't know. It's just your bookstore. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. Awesome. And how do you define being a conscious clinician? Oh, gosh. That's a good question. How do I define that? I think being a conscious clinician is to be intentional and be aware and to constantly be growing and learning about all the ways that the world is changing and what needs to happen. And so I feel like you're having to constantly grow and learn and change and develop who you want to be. I know I'm not the same clinician I was. 20 years ago by any means. And I'm so glad about that. So partly it's like, sometimes I think, oh, I wish I, oh, I should have known that before. But I'm like, sometimes we're just not going to know that before, but now I know it and now I can do something different with this. So I think it's being aware of who you are and who you're working with and constantly growing to change to be better. Love it. That's awesome. So, Catherine, I know that you had mentioned your book earlier. I want to give you a chance to let our listeners know, what is this book called? Where can they find it and learn more about it? They can always go to my website, which is happywithbaby.com, and there's a link to the book there. But the book is available on anywhere you can buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, local online bookstores. And it's called Happy With Baby, Essential Relationship Advice When Partners Become Parents. Awesome. Sounds like an amazing resource for anyone thinking about becoming a parent or who already is a parent and has kids from zero to 18, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of everything in there. Two plus. <laughs> to beyond. I don't know. Yeah. I'll let you know. <laughs> and where could our listeners get in touch with you or find you if they wanted to follow you? I'm on basically all the social media links at happy with baby to keep it simple for myself and for everybody. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, it's at happy with baby. Great. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed speaking with you both. Thank you again. We appreciate it too. Stay conscious, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let's keep the conversation going on Instagram at the conscious clinician and Facebook backslash The Conscious Clinician. Links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and write a review for the podcast to grow our community. Stay conscious, everyone.